And this morning we're going to study from the book of Exodus, and we're going to look at how Pharaoh was making compromises in order to try to get Moses and Aaron to compromise, and then we're going to try to apply that to our life today. The dictionary defines compromise as a settlement of differences in which each side makes concessions. Therefore, we have two parties. Each side makes a, uh, an agree to take something away or whatever the case may be to come to an agreement. We see this in, in the industry world or in the company where they, when two companies merge together, they will give up something in order to make that agreement. We also, I don't know, I've never been to marriage counseling, but I've heard that it's done in marriage counseling where, uh, husband, if you do this, this will make your wife happy. For my sake, my wife would tell you, if I pick up my dishes, she'll be happy. So we see compromises throughout our whole life. But when we think about compromises with our faith, we must not compromise. We know that Satan is real. We can read in 1 Peter chapter 5 where he is seeking like a, a lion to destroy us. We, we read in Matthew chapter 4 where he, Satan tempts us. We can read in John chapter 8 where he is the author of sin. We also can look to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, where Satan wants to take the word of God out of our hearts. Satan is real. We may not completely understand everything there is to know about Satan, but we must know that he is real, and we must know how to defend ourselves against him. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, where it tells us to put on the whole armor of God in order to withstand the wiles and the trickery of the devil. I want us to begin this morning by looking at Exodus chapter 5, as Brother Jeff just read. And this is going to be our springboard text, if you will, for today's lesson. This is the account where Moses and Aaron have come before Pharaoh, begging them to, to let his people go, to go into the wilderness and worship God. But Pharaoh answers them with the utmost defiance, if you will. So God begins to send plague after plague after plague upon Pharaoh and his people, And it's then that he decides, let's begin to make a deal, so to speak. Let's will and deal. Let's uh, mingle some truth with error, if you will, and try to get them to compromise. I was sitting in class when we were studying this text, and one of my classmates said, I think that was a good thing of Pharaoh to, to be willing to let them go. Well, I disagree. I think that is just like Satan. He tries to mingle truth with error to get us to do something that we shouldn't be doing. Satan was a liar. Pharaoh was a liar. I'm going to try to draw comparisons to Pharaoh and Satan because Pharaoh was the god of Egypt in their day, just like Satan is the ruler of the world today. So we'll try to draw some comparisons throughout this lesson. Listen very carefully to this statement. I don't want you to to misunderstand what I'm trying to say. If the devil cannot get us to quit worshiping God in spirit and in truth, he's going to try to get us to compromise. And he's going to do this daily. Satan's attacking us daily in some form or fashion. So we often read about in the news or hear about in the news where people are compromising in the government or in uh, this may be the, the secret success to marriage, but we cannot compromise when it comes to the commandments of our Lord and Savior. Our instructor said that compromise in the crack of the armor of God is the exact point where we will be uh, struck, if you will. And that made me really think about uh, the, uh, the Christian armor in Ephesians 6 where it talks about put on the whole armor of God that you may be protected and carry the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with you. Well, if we decide not to put on the belt of truth or if we decide not to put on the helmet, that's where we're most vulnerable. 
And I think about <clears throat> those men and women that are, <clears throat> excuse me, that are in the military when they're overseas. And if one decides, well, I'm not going to wear my bulletproof vest today, well, he's basically just exposed himself to all kind of, of trauma. Likewise, are we wearing the entire armor of God when we walk out into the world every day? Or do we decide just to leave our sword at home and do whatever we decide to do? And that's what we're going to kind of be discussing this morning. We cannot compromise our faithfulness to God. We're going to look at four points. The first point will be, you can serve our Lord, but you must stay where you are. And this is all from Pharaoh's perspective. He's saying you can serve, but stay where you are. He said, okay, you can serve, but don't get too involved will be point number two. Point number three will be, you can serve God, but don't involve your family. And point number four will be, you can serve God, but don't involve your finances or your possessions. So if you will, go to Exodus chapter 8, and this is where we're going to begin, verses 25 through 27. Exodus 8, 25 through 27. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes? And will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. The very first compromise that Pharaoh is offering to Moses and Aaron and to the children to the children is to, okay, I'm willing to let you go <clears throat> and worship. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I think everybody's getting sick. <clears throat> He's saying you can go and worship your God in the land, but you cannot go three days' journey as you're commanded. He's saying stay here in Egypt and worship and do whatever you need to do. Well, if they were to do that, that would be going against what they believed because Pharaoh had his quote-unquote gods of the land, which each plague was against one of Pharaoh's gods, if you go into, into the depth study. Well, Moses immediately replied with, no, we're not doing this. We're not compromising. So Pharaoh agreed to let them uh, sacrifice to God. Well, look, there's a problem there because in Egypt there was no altar, there's no temple, there's no tabernacle. And not to mention, that's not what God commanded them to do. So how is this important? How does this relate to us today? Satan does not mind me and you being here today worshiping God because... Well, let me back that up. He does not mind us worshiping today if Monday through Saturday you're back living in the world with him. Satan does not mind giving, a, giving us up for an hour or two on Sunday, an hour on Wednesday, because he knows he has us the rest of the week. You see, are we compromising our faith is the question. If you will, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, we'll read verse 17. As children of God, we must understand that God demands separation. In verse uh, 17 of 2 Corinthians, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. We cannot live in the world and be of the world and also be calling ourselves Christians. 
It's a hard task to do to live in the world but not be a part of the world and do the things which the world promote that are okay. It's something that we have to strive to try to work on on a daily basis. In my first few years of being a Christian, I always heard people talk about the quote-unquote gray areas of the Bible, meaning uh, things that were not explicitly stated, such as gambling or drinking or uh, tobacco usage, and these things that the Bible does not specifically say you cannot gamble, you cannot do this. And well, my first thought would be to let's, let's debate this, let's argue this. And I, I realized I don't know that much about the Bible to be debating someone that obviously knows more about it. So then I decided, let's ask five questions and see where they stand after these five questions. In the mid-1990s to late 2000s, there was a bracelet that most teenagers and children wore that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I believe these bracelets were designed so that when you find yourself in a situation, you look at your bracelet and it will remind you what would Jesus do if he's in your situation. We know in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ came living a perfect example for us. We have the example to follow, but are we striving to follow him? So my first question when someone asks about these quote-unquote gray areas, would, would you do this activity? And I would say, well, if... In my mind, would Jesus be found doing this activity? And if you don't know that answer, then I would ask the second question. Well, is God your top priority? Meaning, does he take a backseat to any other activity? Or is he first in your life? This is an area that I struggled with for the first three or four years that me and Lindsay were dating. We we were playing competitive softball. And uh, if we were on a good day, we would play Friday night, Saturday night, and into Sunday. And luckily... Uh, Lindsay stuck with me because on Sunday morning when she's at worship, I would be playing softball. You see, she always gave me the choice. I'm going to service. Are you going with me? You see, at that time in my life, God was not my top priority. He took back seat and become to sports. You see, she had God as her top priority, but not me. Did she chew me out afterwards? Sure. Did we, did we ever win on a Sunday? No. So she said, what is the point of going? You see, God was not my top priority. When you read Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where it says, No man can serve two masters, for you either hate one and love the other. You cannot serve God and man. Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Are you seeking God and His righteousness, or are you seeking the pleasures of this world? The third question I would ask myself when I find myself in a situation or discussing with someone, well, will this help your Christian walk or will it hinder your Christian walk? And what I mean by that is, is by doing this specific activity that's quote-unquote in the gray areas of the Bible, is it going to help me in my Christian walk to get to heaven or is it going to hinder me, slow me down, and possibly affect me not to go to heaven? Ephesians 2.2, 2, in times past you walked according to this world. In times past, meaning... You used to do these things, but now you're a Christian. You no longer do these things. In Ephesians 4.1, I beseech you that you walk worthy of your vocation, your calling. I would say that if what I'm deciding to do is if it's not of any lasting value, I'm not going to do it. Can my time be spent doing better things for the kingdom? I'm probably not going to do it. Does that mean we cannot have fun? No. But if all we're doing is having fun and never promoting the gospel of Christ, we need to reevaluate our lifestyle. The fourth question I would ask is, what is the atmosphere of this activity? Now, if 
In my younger years, I was a heathen, and I, I loved to do things that I shouldn't love to do. But one of my favorite things to eat is hot wings. I love hot wings, and I'm kind of slightly embarrassed to say the story, but uh, it, it makes a good illustration. I would love to go to Hooters Restaurant to eat hot wings. In my opinion, they have the best hot wings. Now, as a Christian, can I go sit in Hooters and eat hot wings with a, a clean conscience? I, I personally cannot. Because of the atmosphere, because of <clears throat> what's going on in this restaurant, I personally cannot go. Am I telling you you're wrong for doing that? No. This is Aaron's opinion. Larry Acuff once told me when I was uh, growing up as a Christian, so to speak, he said, Aaron, if you go to a place that you would not want me to see you, your elders to see you, your deacons to see you, or another Christian to see you, you probably shouldn't be there. And I've taken that advice as, as everywhere I, I, I go. And it's, it's easy advice, but it's good. If I don't want one of you to see me there, then I probably should not be doing that event. I probably should not be there. So what is the atmosphere? Ephesians 5.11 says, Have no fellowship with unfruitful works, but rather reprove them. And then Romans 13.12, Let us cast off the works of darkness and reprove them. And put on the armor of light, excuse me. In my mind, and this is just me, if I walk into Hooters, am I going to let my Christian light shine and try to give, teach them the gospel? They need the gospel, absolutely. But I'm probably going to cower down, go hide in a corner, and eat in hopes that no one knows I'm there. You see, is my Christian light shining as the song we often sing in, uh, as children? No. I'm trying to hide my light under the bushel just to eat some good wings, if you, if you will. The other, the other question I would ask would be, how will this affect others? Will this be a positive impact that, or impact that will help the influence in the cause of Christ, or will this hinder my, my influence on this individual? We have the responsibility to impact those around us, whether positively or negatively, either for the cause of Christ or, for the, or not. Paul stated that he would not eat meat in front of a brother if it offended him. Therefore, if something I do offends one of my brothers, I'm not going to do it in front of them. Now, is it wrong to eat meat that was offered to idols in those days? In my opinion, no, because it's just meat. Idols are nothing. But Paul said, if it offends my brother, I'm not going to tell him where I bought this meat. I'm not going to go and eat that meat in front of him. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 tells us to be salt of the earth and light to the world. Am I going to be the salt of the earth while I'm sitting in the corner of a Hooters not hoping no one sees me? No. I'm doing the opposite. If Because if they do find out that I'm a Christian and the things that I believe, they're going to say, well, you were just in here just a few weeks ago. They're not going to believe anything about you. Before we leave this point, Satan does not care if we serve God as long as we do not become members of the Lord's church. Because he knows that Christ died and that the precious blood of Christ is what purchased the church. He knows this. And as long as you are coming and attending services and not a child of God, he's okay with that because he still has you. <clears throat> My sister-in-law is the most faithful non-Christian I've ever met. She will be at Sunday morning Bible class. She'll be at Sunday services. She'll be at Sunday night services. She will be at Wednesday night services. If there's an activity one day through the week, she's going to be there. 
If the congregation needs something, she's going to contribute to give to that cause. But she's not a Christian. She's doing all of these great things, but she's not obeying the Word of God. If if this is describing you, what are you waiting on? We've had discussion after discussion with her, and she still has yet to obey the Word of God. If we stay where we are, if we serve God where we're sitting, and we're not doing anything other than serving God, we could possibly be compromising. Now, I'm not saying that if you physically cannot do things, I I understand and I believe God understands. But if you are physically capable of doing other things and you choose not to, I believe you're compromising. Point number two, you can serve the Lord is what Pharaoh is saying, but do not get involved. If you will, let's read Exodus chapter 8 and verse 28. Now remember, this is just after Pharaoh gave his first compromise, so to speak, and Moses says, we will not do that. So Pharaoh is immediately giving another chance. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far and treat for me. So as soon as Moses and Aaron said they're not going to do this, Pharaoh immediately says, hey, okay, well now you can go, but don't go very far. God said, go three days' journey into the wilderness. I only want you to go just a little bit to make you comfortable. This sounds just like Satan today. Aaron, you can go and worship in service, but don't get involved. Don't plan other activities that will help other people come closer to Christ. Just come, sit on the pew, go home, and be happy. Satan knows that the body of Christ can only function as well as its weakest member. If you take a chain and one link is weak and it breaks, then the chain is now in two. Like the body of Christ, our weakest member could cause us to divide. It could cause us to uh, not be able to function as well as we should. Satan knows this and he attacks that area. If If we are not maturing in Christ and we're not studying the Word of God, then we're not growing. If we're not involved in spreading the gospel and helping others come to the knowledge of Christ, then we're not doing what we need to be doing. The question this morning is, will you be involved? Will you help? Will you do something to spread the cause of Christ? Our third point this morning. Pharaoh says, you can serve the Lord, but don't involve your family. If you will, go to Exodus chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 7 through 11. And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Now just remember, these are servants of Pharaoh. Coming to him with attitude is how I read it. Pharaoh could have had these men easily killed. He said, How long are you going to let this man be a snare unto us? Let them go, that they may go serve their Lord their God. Notice that thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed. Pharaoh, take a look around. Egypt is destroyed because of what you're doing here. Verse 8, And Moses and Aaron brought, brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God, but who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young or old, our sons or daughters, our flocks or herds. We will go and hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be with, us, be with you, as I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. 
Pharaoh says, Not so. Go now ye that are men, and serve the Lord, for that you did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. They said, We want everyone to go. Pharaoh says, Only the men can go. Now why do you think he'd be willing to compromise on this aspect? I believe he knew that if just the men went and worshipped God, that they would come back to get the children and their wives and and their possessions, if you will. Satan does the same thing to us today. Okay, Aaron, you can go to services, but leave your wife and your family behind. Or, or Lindsay, you go to services while your husband or your future husband's out playing softball. You see, our family has a huge influence on one another. Lindsay had a huge influence on me, and just like so many of you have an influence on your spouse or your children, your grandchildren, or your coworkers, we have a, a powerful influence if we let it shine. Joshua 24, 15 says, As far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are we making that statement as Christians? Are we serving the Lord? As, do, when people come to our house, do they know that we're Christians and we're serving the Lord? Or do we just look like another house that's another house in the world? 2 Timothy 1, 5, it talks about three generations of unfeigned faith. He talks about his grandmother Lois, Lois then his mother Eunice, and then himself. Three generations of Christians because generations are teaching another generation about Christ, another generation. What a blessing it would be to have three generations. And some of you may have three, four, and five generations while some of us only have us as Christians. Satan is willing to compromise because he knows the longer he has our spouse, our children, the closer he is to getting you back. Because there's no unity in the home. If both, Christ, or both parents are not Christians, it's going to be hard to raise a child in Christ in the nurture and admonition that we are told to do in Proverbs 22 and in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. There's always going to be constant bickering. There's always going to be pull and, 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 and give. You never will have that same strive. You'll never have that same goal as God is number one. Satan knows this. He is willing to will and deal with you, so to speak, if you will. Satan does not care if I worship God and leave my children at home because eventually I'm going to stay home with them. And I remember the the first time as a Christian I made the biggest compromise when trying to teach my mother and stepfather the gospel. I thought this brilliant idea, my parents are Baptist and my stepsister, she is uh, 14 years old. And about six years ago, she was singing in the quote-unquote little church thing. I don't even know what it was. And so I said, <clears throat> if I go to their services and, and respect what they do, maybe I can get them to come to services with me. And so me and Lindsay go, and me and Lindsay were scared in this service. This quote-unquote preacher was running the aisles, screaming, hollering. Uh, doing some things. I, I didn't even know what he was doing. But my little sister gets up to sing and I'm sitting there, why am I here? I just compromised. Any hope that I had of teaching them the truth about the one true church, I just gave it all away. Because, well, Aaron, you came here with us, so that means that ours is the same as yours. That's not true. But in my parents' mind, that's exactly how they feel because I just went and worshipped with them. To this day, they still talk about that and still think that this is just another denomination. And it's so hard to get that one time I compromised out of their minds. 
Just like I know several people that are huge into sports. I got a friend in South Georgia. He's 16 years old and has been recruited by Clemson and Alabama as a two-star football and baseball player. There are news articles upon news articles where this young man has walked off the baseball field and went to services. In the middle of an inning, he's walked off in the middle of a bat and said, I'm going to services. What a strong conviction that is. I don't know if I would have that conviction because I love sports, but if I'm in that situation, he's walked off in the state championship in Georgia, walked off and went to services in Valdosta, Georgia. And the newspaper found out about it and wrote an article on it, first front page. And I read that article and I was like, I know him. And yet his conviction is stronger than mine. And he's 16, now 17. How strong is your conviction? Our fourth and final point this morning is serve the Lord, but leave your possessions behind. If you will, Exodus chapter 10, verse 24 through 26. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones go along with you. Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle shall go with us. There shall not be a hoof left behind. There must, therefore must we take and serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. So Pharaoh is now saying, okay, Moses and Aaron, you can take the men, you can take the women, you can take the children, but you must leave your flocks and herds behind. And this time and day, the flock, or, or this day and time, the flocks and herds were just like money and currency. You could trade, you could barter, you could sell, you could eat. Well, if they left all of that behind, they, he knew that they would come back for that. Satan loves to hit us where, our, where it hurts the most, and I think our wallets oftentimes get attacked. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, and 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 talks about when we should give because God has purposed or how much God has blessed us and that we should give cheerfully and not grudgingly. I've heard a lot of people say, including Christians, say that preachers shouldn't talk about money. The truth of the matter is that there's nothing more spiritual that we could talk about because when we give of our possessions, that's the supreme test of our faith. And I was highly encouraged when this congregation sent almost $10,000 to Texas, or a little over $10,000. That shows that you're willing to give. What a blessing it is to be in a congregation where people are willing to give of their means. When I was working, when I had my first business, you know, Aaron, I, I worked 60 hours for this. I deserve this new etc. I deserve this new truck, this new gun, this new 60-inch TV and the PlayStation. I deserve this. Therefore, instead of giving my money to God... I would go buy things. I had a truck, I had a Jeep, I had a four-wheeler all sitting in my garage while I'm giving $10 to God. It don't make sense. God has blessed us. Just as we were talking the other day, we're the richest nation in the world. Our poorest person is richer than some people in the world. And yet we only give God our, our leftovers, if you will. This morning, we've looked at four different points that Pharaoh offered Moses and Aaron. He said, you can serve the Lord where you are. You don't get too involved. Don't involve your family. And don't give of your possessions. This morning, is that describing you and your situation with how you offer things to God, worship God? If it is, why not make it right? Maybe you're not a child of God. Well, the baptistry is always ready. If you're too 
uh, nervous about walking in front of people. I'm, I'm right there with you. I did it after services one night. The brethren here are here to pray for you. They love you. And if there's anything we can do to benefit you in your walk with Christ, we ask that you come as we stand and sing.